Well, here it is Saturday night, the last night, the last Saturday before the end of camp. And I was sitting here thinking as I was looking out at you that um, it has been a joy to be with you. And there's something about camp meeting uh, that is a little bit sad wherever I go. You come and you do life with people for a period of time, be it seven or ten days, such as this uh, week, it's not a week, but these ten days have been. And you worship Jesus together, and because of that, there's this bond that's formed. I mean, I'm appreciative of everything else that goes on, all the fellowship and that sort of stuff, but there's something about worshiping in the presence of Jesus together that just builds bonds between people. And it's sad when you start watching people close up their cabins and load up their cars and exit the campground, and since I don't get to be here every year, I think last time I was here was 2016, I don't know if I'll ever get to see some of those people again. And so I'm just trying to say I'm thankful for you, and thank you for letting me spend these last few days with you, and I hope I haven't gotten on your nerves too badly because there's tonight and tomorrow morning, and then you're done with me. Uh, If you have your Bible, open up to 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you've been in the morning sections... Um, the ones uh, on my days, I've been sharing some stories that have developed from a writing project that I'm doing with my friend that has the working title of Things You Didn't Learn in Sunday School. Uh, Title will change, of course, it always does, but um, I've been sharing some of those characters and I feel led to share one of those with you tonight. And I'm going to be very honest, the one that I'm going to share tonight has convicted me over the last year or two. And my prayer really is that it'll convict you as well, and that we'll receive that conviction, we'll respond to that conviction, and because of that, we'll be changed uh, by the time we leave this evening. We'll be closer to him than when we walked through tonight. Isn't that what you want? I want to know him more when I go to bed tonight than when I knew him when I got up today. I want to be closer tomorrow morning than I am tonight. That's how it's supposed to be. And if we would be open to that, he would do it. 2 Samuel, we're going to be reading in chapter 6, beginning with the latter part of verse 12, 12b. And we'll read all the way down through verse 23. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed amongst all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, 
both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I'll play music before the Lord, and I'll be even more undignified than this, and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Hear the words of Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Jesus, tonight we're thankful for these times that you've given us to be together. We're thankful that we haven't just met here and gone through routine, but you've been here with us, and because of that we're changed. I thank you for every victory that's been won this week. I thank you for every life that's moved closer to you this week. Everything that you've done, things we don't even know. But I'm confident you've been revealed. And I believe that there's something more that you want to do. You're not finished with us. So tonight, would you speak? Would you help us to hear your voice? Would you help us to see you? Draw us into your presence. As you speak to us where we are, help us to respond. And in that response, change us. Make us into the men and women that you long for us to be. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for all that you're doing. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Her name was Michal. And to be honest with you, we really don't know a whole lot about her. I mean, her name is found some 17 times throughout eight verses of Scripture. That's it. But from those verses, we find out that she was anything but an ordinary girl. Her father was King Saul. In fact, we see from 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 49 that she was the youngest of five children. Out of those children, there were two girls, so she would be the youngest of those two daughters. In other words, when you put the picture together, you realize that she was a princess. She was the daughter of a king. Because of that, we know that she was raised with royalty. You could say that she was raised in the palace, trained in the ways that a princess would act and all the proper etiquette that the royal family would know. However, we really need to get beyond our Disney fairy tale princess and realize that during this day, it really wasn't an easy thing to be that. You know that a king and queen longed to produce heirs. 
The king really longed for male children because having male children would ensure that his rule, his family, his name would continue the ones that would lead these people. Daughters were really something. They, they, they weren't necessarily unwelcome, but they didn't seem to play the major role that the boys would. Actually, they were viewed as property. That's foreign to our ears in a day of code pink in 2021, but really what they would be used for was to be bargaining chips. However you choose to say it, they could be pawns in a grand chess game because what would be won from the daughters is they would forge alliances through marriage. They would settle disputes between kingdoms. They really would be used to keep and to buy the peace for that king in that day. And because we know that's who she is, we also realize that the same would be true for Michal. Now you remember that at this point in time, David had burst upon the scene. When we learn of who she is, we also see that David, you remember David, the shepherd king? He was the one that when Jesse the prophet went to, to choose the, the new king that his father even overlooked him. He was the one that God would say was a man after his own heart. You remember David. He stood to the giant and he slew him by God's power. Goliath fell. God had been using him mightily and people had been taking notice. In fact, you could say that they were literally beginning to sing his praises. Do you remember the chants? Do you remember the songs that they would sing? They would sing that Saul's killed thousands, but David's has killed tens of thousands. And because of that, an insecure king now sees this shepherd boy as a threat. And really his desire is to get rid of him. So he begins to scheme, he begins to look for ways, and he decides that the way that he'll accomplish that is that he will arrange for David to marry his youngest. Michal would be David's first wife. But if David really wanted to be the son of a king, there would have to be a bride price. There would be, have to be something that David would do, something that he would prove his worth. And so this is where it gets interesting. Saul decides that the bride price, it's not monetary. He's going to require David to get a hundred foreskins from the Philistines. By that alone, you do realize that wouldn't be an easy task. Don't sit there and act that way. You know that would be a difficult thing. By that alone, it's obvious that he wants David out of the picture. He's going to try to get him killed. An arch rival of God's people, the Philistines, he's sending them right into where they are. It wouldn't be an easy task, but David, God's man, is up for the task. And God, through that power, instead of just bringing a hundred, you know what David does? He doubles it. He brings 200 Philistine foreskins and because of that, Saul has to keep his word. Because of that, 
Michal is wed to David. And I want to be very honest with you. It seems when we get in the picture like this that this is a good thing, at least for Michal, because when you get into 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 20 and 28 literally says that Michal loved David. So she obviously had this, this, this deep feelings for this man, and she loved him. The interesting thing is, though, the reverse is never true. We never find, not once, where it says that David loved Michal. But she loved him. And it wasn't just in word. It was in deed as well. Because we see that love displayed as we continue on into chapter 19, where Saul had failed to get rid of his threat, David. Now he's going to do him in while he's in bed with his daughter. He's going to kill him right there, and Michal knows of the plan. And so she risks her own life. Do you see how deep this love is? She risks her own life to stand against her father, it would seem. She helps David to escape through the window and lower down the wall. She deceives the guards by putting a teraphim under the blankets, an idol there that would seem like there was a body and time and we see that the separation occurs David is gone his life is spared of course Michal is dishonest with her father but we see because of the passing of time and the distance between Michal and David her love remains but things begin to change see really when you get into it the I mentioned the other day, that evil always looks to destroy. And what we see here is Saul longs to destroy what God is doing. In other words, Saul longs to destroy David's claim to the throne. And since he failed at murder, he begins to devise another plan. Since David is out of the picture, and really David's claim to the throne would be his daughter, Michal, he really is underhanded, really is a little perverse, even in, in this scene. We watch as he marries his youngest to a man named Paltiel or Paltai. Paltai is easy to, easier to say, isn't it? We'll, ju we'll just say Paltai. And it seems when we watch these two wed that maybe for once in her life she's found love. Maybe for once she's found the acceptance that she's been longing for. But as time passes and Saul's life is no more, upon Saul's death, David sins for his first wife. That's who she is. He's the king. He will have his bride. And we see that it's really not, or we can assume, some of you might disagree with that, so I won't say it so strongly. You'd probably be wrong, but I'll let you disagree. We see that it's not because of his love for this woman that he sins for her. It's because the marriage between her, Saul's daughter, and himself strengthens, as I said before, his claim to the throne. And when they go and retrieve her, it's the oddest picture. We watch as Paltai follows behind making his way in the procession, following behind, weeping. You get a sense as he's watching his love, his birth, that he really cared for her. He followed until 
David's men turned him back. It's interesting here as well because we don't really hear anything in this scene about her feelings for Paltai. Something obviously was happening within her. It seems as though this this young girl who once was so tender, this one girl who once had an open, caring heart, she's grown cold. And now it's obvious because the marriage to David she knows was simply forged for a political alliance. So we watch her. Michael, Michael, the daughter of Saul. Isn't it interesting? That's how she's always referred. It doesn't say Michael, the first bride, the first wife of David. No, it's always the daughter of Saul. As we see her in her text, we know by looking back that her life has not been easy, even on the little bit of information that we have about her. She's become hardened by all the things that have been going on. It seems the butterflies that she once felt for David, they've flown away. The love's grown cold. It's disappeared because now we read as she watches from her tower window, that she despises him. I want you to hear that language. That's strong. She once loved him. We read it twice. But now the object of her love is good. Now she despises him. And to put an exclamation point from her heart. It's on display, full display in chapter 6. Now, you'll remember in 2 Samuel chapter 6, it's really two major themes or two major stories that are connected by an interlude. The first story is a familiar story. It's verses 1 through 10a. It's the story, of course, where David, the conquering king, goes to fetch the ark at the home of Abinadab. And when he goes there, he goes as a conquering king. God has brought him victory. He is now king of a united kingdom. I mean, it's an exciting picture. He's going to bring the ark back to the city where the ark belongs. But he disregards God's law. He disregards God's instruction. And through it all, because of that, we see a man named Uzzah who does what was unthinkable. He reaches out to steady the ark when it seemed unstable. And because he puts his hand on the holy thing, God strikes him dead. And it makes David mad. But I don't have time to spin there. He didn't have any right to be. God said how things should be dealt with. God had told us in in Numbers 4, verse 13, that anybody who would dare touch the holy thing, the penalty would be death. God is true to his word. If he's not, he's not God. He should not have been angry. But but don't we do that too? Can we just stay there for it? We know it's not hidden, the people that we're intended to be. Especially if you spend 10 days at Syker. One year, 10 year, 70 years, 80 plus years. And I'm not stretching it. We saw it the other day. I mean, we don't have anybody 151 years. But we've got some who have been. You know, if you, God 
the way we are to live is not hidden. And the power to live in the way that he has called us to live is available to each one of us. And yet we choose to do it our way and then we get mad when we have to deal with the consequences. We do things the way we think they should be done and then when we wonder why he's not blessing, we do the exact same thing. David's anger turns to fear and he aborts the mission though and he leaves the ark in the home of Obed-Edom. That takes us into the interlude, verses 12, 10b through 12a. Three months pass. That's not a long span of time. Three months gone. And yet in those three months, the household of Obed-Edom, we read, because the presence of the ark is blessed in such a way that people are talking about it. How do we know they're talking about it? Because it's, it's gone through the city gates. I mean, people are beginning to say, they before probably were murmuring about poor old Uzzah, but now they're murmuring about what's been going on at the household of Obed-Eden. It's so powerful. It slips through the castle. It comes into the palace, right into the throne room, and it's whispered in David's ear what God is doing because of the presence of the ark. They're at the household of Obed-Eden, and something begins to happen within David that he gets the courage and he says, I have got to finish what I've started. So we watch him in 12b as he goes back to get the ark. We see him this time with a change of posture. This time there seems to be a humility present that wasn't present in the first scene. We get the sense that they're doing things the way God said to them to do them. Why? Because we even see, we read it together, after they take six paces, they stop and they begin to offer sacrifice. They begin to worship God. And in that moment, things begin to break loose. Oh, now I, I'm assuming that some of you all know what I'm talking about when I say things begin to break loose. I thought the other night it was going to break loose here. I mean, it's a little bit tight, but when, when our brother got blessed the other night and, and began to shout because of the song that was going on, I thought, well, finally something's going to happen. I, I mean, I kind of like it when we allow things to break loose. It's not that he's not moving. It's not that he's not longing to do it. I was in Indianapolis not too long ago in a church of the Nazarene, and I was preaching revival. This doesn't happen in the church of the Nazarene very often. Uh, very rarely is more like it. Is how it but I mean, the church was kind of one like this, different sections, and during one of the songs, this guy, and he wasn't an older guy. He was a middle-aged guy, uh, younger than I am. I'm not middle-aged. I'm half of 98, but I I mean, all that kind of thing. He, he, he got up. He got so blessed, John, that he stood up and he began running around that place. And I know that we would have the tendency to maybe chuckle, but you didn't have a chance to because when he was obedient, the spirit was so real in that place and everybody just stood. Many were weeping. Many were lifting their hands. It went on for about 15 minutes. And I longed for times when we are just open to his moving and we would just allow it to to break loose. Oh, what would happen in this 150th celebration, even though it's 151 years, what would happen if things on Saturday night, the last Saturday night, just kind of broke loose? Oh, can you imagine? Those who loaded up and went home might have wished they'd have stayed. 
Oh, I think they'll be fine, though. But anyhow, it breaks loose. We watch David completely vulnerable. Why do we say that? Because this is that place that some people will say, David danced naked before the Lord. He's not naked. I don't know where that comes from. He's wearing the ephod. Ephod. I say these names wrong. You know what I'm talking about. You know, you know what that is? I mean, that's what the priest would wear. I don't think it's the same garment, but you remember. It's at least his, his covering that would go underneath the rest of his clothes. So he wasn't dancing naked. He was dancing in his drawers. <laughs> He's completely vulnerable. He's vulnerable before God. We saw that in the humility as when they took the six steps and then he began to offer. That's apparent. He's vul- and see, if we're ever going to experience his power, you're going to have to get real with him. But you understand because he was vulnerable with God, he was vulnerable before all the people as well. He had no protective garment. And there were probably people who would look to take him out. Probably people loyal to Saul's boys, all those sorts of things. And when they saw him, it would be the perfect chance. See, that's why we don't get real with God. It's because we would have to get real with each other. If we're going to be vulnerable before him, necessarily we must be vulnerable before one another. And we're too concerned about what others think. What will so-and-so say? I can preach it whether you agree with me or not. But that's the thing. We do not get there because we are so bound up in ourselves that we never truly worship. But this is what David is doing. He's dancing. He's leaping. And everybody, this is what's so powerful. Everybody is joining in. You get the idea that from that next step, they worshiped all the way to the city. They're celebrating. They're worshiping. The ark is coming home. And as they make their way through the city gates, everybody's excited and they're worshiping. Except for her. Remember, she's in her tower. She's there in the palace looking down on what's going on. Remember, she was raised in the proper etiquette. She she knows how things are supposed to go. And now she looks down. And I like that image because so many of us, I found in 24 years, we like to look down on the way others choose to worship. Just because it's not what we think it should be, Ought to be a little more respectable. Ought to loosen up, whatever it may be. We stand in our towers, and we want to protect what we think we have. See, that's what's... We want to defend what's right, and that's what she's doing. She's looking down, and that's where we read, she despises him. Hear it again. From her or in her heart. And here I just want to read the story to you so you can get the movement, so you can see the motion of what's going on. Verse 18, after David finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, listen to this, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. 
So after the offerings were made, all that stuff, he is going to bless the people. How does he do that? Verse 19 gives us a content for that phrase in, in found at the end of verse 18. If you want to know how he blesses them, here is how. Verse 19. And notice the repetition. And notice the inclusive language that's used. Then he distributed among all the people... Among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. So I want you to see the picture. He's going to bless them, but he blesses them all. It says not only men, but women. Everybody received the very same blessing. This this, this, that he's giving the loaf of bread, the cake of raisins, the meat. We watch that they're all blessed, and then they all depart. See it after the blessings have been given. Everybody has been blessed in the name of the Lord. They depart to their own house. I won't stay here, but you need to see this image. Do you understand when God is in his rightful place, everybody benefits? This is where the ark belonged. And now that the ark has come home, now that the ark is there, everybody's blessed. You need to see that. Everybody benefits when God is in his rightful place. What would happen, mom and dad, if you gave God his rightful place in your home? What would happen in the workplace if you served wherever it may be, not as drudgery, but realizing that you, and you give him his proper place? What would happen at church of all places if we allowed God his rightful place? I'll tell you what would happen. Everybody would benefit. Lives would be changed. It would go beyond your walls and everybody benefits because the ark is returned. But notice, having blessed them all and everybody returning to their household, verse 20, then David returned to bless his household. So having blessed everybody else, he's going to carry the blessing to his own home. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David. Don't miss this. Everybody has been blessed. There's no question there. Having blessed everybody, David is carrying that blessing to his own household. But before David could ever get through the threshold, before David ever gained entrance into the palace, before he ever went through the door, Michal came out and stopped the blessing. I want you to see it. Everybody's been blessed. David is carrying it to his house, but before he ever gets in, Michal comes out and stops the blessing. That's a frightening image. Because we often pray, God, do something. He is doing something. 
We have a tendency, the days of revival are past. Well, maybe in Western civilization, maybe in holiness circles, but I can point you to people. I've got a friend in North Carolina that pitched a tent. No one wants to sit under a tent. Well, we're kind of, well, never mind. Thousands of people every night came. Thousands. They would drive four, five, six hours just to get in on what was going on under that tent. So we can make dumb excuses. But he's moving. Maybe we're just stopping what he wants to do. Oh, it's frightening. I wonder how many times I've not experienced in a revival setting what he wanted to do because I wanted to do it my way. I wonder, board member, how many times God was ready to get, get just really break through wherever you sit on that board, whatever church it may be. I mean, there was something going, but then all of a sudden you... I wonder who it could be this week who has been stopping what God wanted to do during this time. Everybody else was blessed. He blessed them all. He's carrying the blessing. May it never be that I'm, that you're found guilty of stopping what God wants to do because we would rather do it our way. She comes out and stops the blessing, and then she has a conversation with her husband. And this is sarcasm. You've got to understand that. Um, all you need to do is think about healthy discussions between husbands and wives when you read this. You've never had those here? Are you guys that holy? I, I mean, no one responds, uh, all that kind of thing. Okay, well, think about, you know, maybe you're an evangelist, and you're at a church, and, and you're waiting in the hotel room because the pastor and his wife's going to come get you and take you to eat somewhere, and when you get in the car, it's just thick. You can tell something has happened. They're not happy. They're trying to put on a happy face, but they're not, and you know what it is. I've learned all these years. That he has asked her, well, where do you want to eat? And she said, I don't care, and obviously she did because because when he picked, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself in the eyes of the maids of his servants. Here's the issue, though. As one of the base fellows do, base. Remember, she was raised in the palace. She had all the proper etiquette training. Who was David? He was a shepherd. You can't get any more base than that. Looking at the one she once loved because he was worried. Now she, you're acting like a lowlife. You're acting like a shepherd, David. How glorious that is for the king. He's going to get his punches in too. It was before the Lord hear this, who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel, therefore I'll play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this. You know what he's saying there? I'll dance naked if I want to. 
That's really what, well, never mind. And will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. And listen to verse 23. Therefore, it's a connecting word. I think um, Reverend Morgan said it earlier this week that the old preacher once said, whenever you run across a therefore, you need to ask what it's there for. That sounds so stupid, but it's real. I mean, because when we read that word, it tells us what we're going to read is a result of what we've read. It connects it all. And, and, and I would suggest it really goes all the way up when we see the whole picture. But, but at least where we've been tonight, it connects it. Therefore, because of these things, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Michal, the daughter of Saul, was barren to the end of her days. Michal, the daughter of Saul, did not produce life for her life. It's tragic. And then she disappears from the word. We never hear anything about her again. And we don't know. A lot of times with language, you can see who's doing the action. Like if it were to God closing her womb, the word would give us some indication that God was the one that was doing this. We don't have any indication of that. God very well could have closed her womb, but it could have been just that David didn't visit her in the marriage bed anymore. However it was, she did not produce life. She was barren. Why does that matter? I told you, the queen and king were to produce heirs for a woman not to have children. We've talked about this earlier in the week. It was considered disgraceful, but for a queen? There have been queens that have met their end because of things like that. But we read, she's barren, no life, and then she's gone. That's the last thing we're told. She was barren all her days, and then there was no more. Well, I started going to the Church of the Nazarene. I'm, I'm an ordained elder, tenured evangelist in the Church of the Nazarene. Um, I'm 49, just turned 49, and uh, I started going when I was 15 years old. Uh, up until that point, my papaw pastored Wofford Missionary Baptist Church in Wofford, Kentucky. I grew up on the weekends going there. Uh, spending summers there, all that sort of thing. But at the age of 15, a pretty girl, pretty little girl named Lana asked me if I wanted to go to church with her. And I thought, nope, don't want to go to church with you. There are some other places, but not church. And my 15-year-old mind began to do the arithmetic. And I thought, okay, if I go to church with her, I can sit by her. If I sit by her, we'll pass notes. And as I said the other morning, 15-year-old boy, if I sit by her, my knee might touch her knee. It's a big deal to a 15-year-old boy. It's a big deal to a 49-year-old single man. But anyhow, you know those things. I went to Norwood First Church of the Nazarene during a revival service. Never forget, I got there and the place was packed. And, I, and we got there early. It was 1987. It doesn't seem like that long. It was, it's a long time ago, but it doesn't seem. I, I mean, it was packed. The people wanted to be there. We set up front. That was different for me. The service went on and the people were enthusiastic. 
I mean, they worshiped God. I'd never seen anything like it before in my life. The preacher was, was out of his head, out of this world. I mean, it was just, it was just incredible. They would beat, beat people at the end of services down at these things. I'd never seen these things before. They're altars. I know that now. But I, I, they'd just come down there, and they'd lay over, and the beaters would come and just beat the sin right out of them. Holiness unto the Lord. This way, I'm, I, I, I mean, that's... I never got the girl. That doesn't surprise you. But I saw those people. And I knew that I needed what they had. Not only did I need it, I wanted it. And because of that, I'm here tonight. Typical year, I travel 48, year, 48 weeks out of the year. Those other weekends, I'm doing something too, but typically that's what, now, now of course last year messed everything all up, but that, that's typically what I do, and I, I've come to the sad realization over the last number of years, something's happened, folks. I, I, I've come to realize that if I were a 15-year-old boy, invited by a girl that I wanted to get to know to one of the churches that I go and preach at. And I don't only preach at Nazarene. I preach at United Methodist. I, I preach at even Friends Church. I, I preach at not, I, I preach at them all, folks. I, I, I mean, I go to those, and, and I'm afraid that if a girl asked me to go as a 15-year-old boy because I wanted to get to know her, when I didn't get the girl, there'd be nothing about those people that would make me want to stay. Because today, typically, there is no life. There is no enthusiasm in worship. How hard do you have to get to work to get people to sing? I mean, we'll say things like that. I can't believe we've got to stand so long. Or, why don't they have us stand? No one's ever happy. Have you ever noticed that? A little bit of excitement happens, and all of a sudden we got to quiet it down because, wait a second, someone, that, that's not what we. Well, I, I wonder, you're sitting there, would the world want what you have? I'm not pointing fingers, I'm asking questions. I'm asking myself as well. I, I mean, the world's already miserable. That's how most of us act. We have a hope. To see those videos, thousands upon thousands of thousands of people, even when they couldn't drink lemonade. No clue why you can't have lemonade, but <laughs> boy, their buns would really pop if they knew the things we did now, wouldn't they? <laughs> I cracked myself up. I just heard what I said. Now the Okay, I'll just cut to the chase. I need to stop. We are powerless. We're self-protecting. We're judgmental. We're harsh. We don't produce life. 
how many churches on your district, whatever that district may be, whatever denomination it may be, goes year after year after year after year without one confession of faith. There is no producing of life. And I know that we are a holiness movement. We believe in, in a full salvation, not just an initial work, but a complete work as well. We believe that God can do things completely. And I know that there are some people that get on their soapbox, we don't preach a second evident work of grace. I'll help you out. You'll never have a second when you don't have a first. And somehow we'd rather... I've even heard people say, we don't want that kind. That breaks the heart of Jesus, I'm sure. Because he died for that kind. And you know what? You're some other that kind. We're barren. A denomination or a, a movement who who claims to live in the power of the Spirit, seems to display more the spirit of Michal. And my prayer is, God, deliver us from that. Set us free from ourselves. Break up our hardened hearts Yes, life is hard. Yes, it's not easy. It's not even always fun. But folks, God is always good. We don't live as those who have no hope. We know him. Break up our hardened hearts. Help us to love once again. I wonder tonight, are you consumed with him? Or are you more like her? Do you have the spirit of Christ dwelling within you? Or do you live by the spirit of Michal? Guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. How is your heart? What's controlling you? Has your love grown cold? If so, Jesus, tonight, do in us what only you can do. We've sat here this week and we've heard teaching and preaching over and over and over. We've had enough to change the world if we would just believe it. If we would just do our part. Oh, search our hearts, Jesus. I don't have to ask you to do that. You're already doing that. Help us to get real with you. Somehow help us to push beyond the fear of what others may think so that we can get real serious with you. 
Help the blessing flow in and through us. May we never stop the blessing to a world that needs to see. Jesus, in these closing moments as we respond, do the work that only you can do. I'm going to invite you, please, to stand to your feet if you're able all over the tabernacle. I've said it all week. The word of God demands a response. There are altars here. Do you need to spend some time with him? I wonder, can we just get honest before him? You really want to know holiness unto the Lord? That's the way it happens. We can talk about it all we want, but until we come to the point, I want to be consumed by your spirit. We're going to sing at the appropriate time. Brother Matt will lead us in a closing prayer, but you do what the Lord would have you to do. Thank you.
Forbid it, Lord, that we would ever stand in the way of the Lord's blessing. That any of us would think that we know better than you do. We know how to control the work of the Spirit in ourselves or in one another. Lord, we don't want barrenness in our lives. We don't want fruitlessness. We don't want to be those who produce no life at all and come to the end of it and look back with regret. Lord, in these closing moments of the service, in many ways we are coming to the close of the camp meeting. Don't let us leave here until we know that we have done business with you, that we have been responsive in the right way. Lord, if we have that confidence, that assurance that we're in right relationship with you, that we come with, to life and with our arms wide open, saying, Lord, come in, do your work. Don't let me stand in the way. And Lord, may we go in peace. Lord, wherever we are tonight, whether we're here in this tabernacle or watching online, may this be the moment of response, right response for us. May you, who always do a good work in us, who promise to see it through to completion, Lord, to you be all the glory, honor, and praise, both now and forever. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.